Welcome to Primal Screen. This is your host, Nick Greystone. For the next hour, we're going to talk about fantasy, reality, and everything in between. Let's go. What is up? Hello, everyone. Woo! Nick Greystone, back in the his house. Um, right off the bat, I just have to tell you, I feel like I'm I'm cheating on you guys because not only was last week's show pre-recorded, yes. but this one also is pre-recorded. Yeah. So I'm not live right now. So I'm coming from the past and bringing it to the future. I don't know. Like I'm all fucked up with time because I like going live because I like adding those segments. Where like you know, I could be driving here and hear something and that I want to add and. Um, I feel like I'm cheating on you, but nonetheless, don't worry. Next week when I come back, it will be live, and I will never go astray again. So I hope everyone's doing well. I'm doing awesome. Um, loving the fuck out of this weather, even though it is raining these last couple of days. Kind of feels like uh, depressing Seattle, you know, like 90s. But uh, other than that, it's like fall, you know. You see me rocking the hoodie. This is my type of uh, weather and uh, season, so uh, happy fall to all you ghouls and ghoulettes out there. halloween is just around the corner, and that's my favorite time of season, too. You know that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I have so much to talk about, as usual, because I can never shut the fuck up. Um, last week, uh, we had a, uh, a fun time with uh, our first official guest on here, Anthony uh, DiDomenico. If you haven't checked that out, go check out episode six. Um, we covered a lot of stuff. And um, and then even the week before that, you know, I, I was talking about my, uh, my top five um, dickhead encounters at conventions. So I kind of reversed that because I wanted some positivity. And tonight I'm going to talk about my top five, um, some of the best encounters that I've had. I'm never going to officially have a, a top five because it's always like, you know, a revolving list. I just love the the thing about top five. You can always, you know, say a top five pizza or a top five um, ice cream or the top five celebrities that you've met in uh, at a convention setting. So I will be talking about that. Um, I wanted to kick off the show with a special um, eerie little video that I came across. And this was from 2011. And um, I know he's been mentioned a lot lately because a lot of people have um, fell out of love with this man, uh, Howard Stern, because of uh, his uh, views and he just has a shitty attitude lately. But... I don't know, man. I, I I think I'll always like him. Um, but this one, he I'm going to let the video play, and we'll talk about it after it goes. So uh, without any further ado, Tony, if you can, please. What I said. Remember all those bodies that were found in Suffolk County yeah. during the summer? They're now saying they think one killer is responsible for all those bodies found in the Gilgo Beach area. Ten sets of human remains have been discovered since December of last year, and only five have been identified so far. They found them all on the beach, a lot of them, right? Yeah, like buried in the sand. Right. In dunes. But, uh, yeah, I wonder if they're getting close to this guy. Is he feeling the heat? Is it just a matter of time? We don't know. I don't think uh, it's going to be a, a like a group of people like you just said. I think with, when they find this, I think it's going to be one guy. Mm-hmm. Probably from Long Island, like Massive People Park or something. <laughs> and I think it'll come down to DNA. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. They get it from like a body and then they match it to some guy eating a pizza or, or pizza box or something like what? that. But it's probably one guy and he's got a dark side. Real unassuming guy. Probably has a white collar job. Mm -hmm. Probably like an architect or a, oh, I don't really? know. Like, like, you know, like a, like a good job. And, How and these guys always have a huge gun collection too. That'll be the other thing. You'll see. Okay. Keep an Holy eye out for the Chevy pickup truck. And, I don't know what you're about these things. All right. What else is in the news, Rob? Like, whoa, dude. Like, he just not only hit, like, every possible, like, characteristic of Rex Heuerman, but he even got down to the fucking pizza, bro. Like, holy shit. The, Either the pizza and and the the architect, the architect, Massapequa Park, freaky dude, like unassuming, like holy cow, bro, like unbelievable. It's either that Howard Stern is the Gilgo killer, <laughs> or he gave Suffolk County a very good fucking case to work with, and like you know what, we should uh, put it all together. Can I you imagine? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but. That is some freaky, freaky shit right there, right? Yeah, big time, big time, freaky. Uh, that, yeah, speechless. Right? I heard that the other day, and I was just like, "Whoa!" Which I love. It, it just adds to the um, to the ingredients of this whole case. Uh, I feel like every day we uh, we reveal another side of this, or another story, or something tight link linked into it. Um, and your reactions actually helped too, right? Just now, you know. yeah, like holy <laughs> shit! Like that's how I was when I was listening to it for the first time, and I've been sitting on it for almost two weeks because, like I said, I haven't been live in here, and I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to get back in here. I'm like, hope that bastard Keegs and and Hershey don't steal it from me and put it on their show. Did Is they that, talk about it? Because they totally would. No, they they haven't said a word about no, it. No, I don't mean bastards. I love those guys. <clears throat> no, they're bastards. <laughs> bastards, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, actually, a shout out to them, uh, Higgs and Cur um, the <laughs> Higgs. <laughs> I, I combine the two. Hershey and Keegs have a show. It's uh, on uh, Tuesday nights at nine o'clock. Check in. It's always funny. It makes they sense. They combine with each other regularly. You right. Know? You, you know, never like, know what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, right? combining heinies. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Higgs. Higgs. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sure they'll love that. That's a visual. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love it too. <laughs> <laughs> they probably will get DNA from that show if I was involved. <laughs> I don't know what that big guy was doing in the corner, but he looked like he was having a good time. <laughs> Oh man, so so fucked up. But anyway, um, yeah. So I had a, uh, a very interesting uh, two weeks. Um, I did my first hip hop show ever, um, and I was so fucking nervous about it um, because rockers, when they typically go to hip hop, it usually is a recipe for disaster. Uh, and I'm looking at. Didi Ramon right now, like Didi King, when he did that, uh, you still see the videos and it's it's cringy. You know, he's one of the best. He's one of the best bassists in the in the punk game ever, and wrote so many great Ramon songs. And then he did something like that, and I guess I don't know. I guess it was just the heroin. I don't know. You can blame it on that or whatever the fuck it was. But 
I don't do heroin, so not anymore. But uh, <laughs> I uh, did my first hip hop show um, at Webster uh, Theater in uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, it was awesome. Um, we opened up me and my uh, my boy K Lovely. We opened up for uh, Shaggy Too Dope from the Insane Clown Posse, and uh, it actually for me. It fit my demographic because Insane Clown Posse does have those like hip hop elements in it, but it also has like the metal. And um, it's funny, like one of the co headliners, uh, Hex, who's mad cool. Hex, I'm um, shout out to Hex, DJ Clay, and Lardy. Um, Hex said to me, he was like, um, I overheard you talking, man, and you said that this was your first show. He's like, Well, you guys killed it up there. And I said, well, you know, it was my first hip-hop show, but I've been doing, you know, stage performance and stuff with music for 25 years and, uh, you know, in metal and punk. And he said, well, this is the right area for you to be in because, uh, you know, the fans that usually come to this like both. So, uh, yeah, we had a 15-minute set. We did four songs, um, two collaborations and uh, one song each. And um, I ended up playing my... um, the first time I ever played Not Goodbye, this is a song that I wrote for my uh, my brother-in-law that passed away, Keith. Shout out to Keith. Um, and I got so many extra feels for playing that song. First, it was the first song, time I ever played it live. Secondly, during the song, people busted out uh, the cell phones and they lit up the place a little bit. And uh, just got a great vibe. Now... When I got off the stage, um, one of the guys that was on the bill as well, his name is Fury. Shout out to Fury. Fury um, is a is an artist. He's also a promoter, and uh, he came up to me. He was like, "Dude, I you know I felt your energy up there. Uh, I'd love to uh, do shows with you in the future." Um, and we just started bullshitting and stuff. And um, when I was talking to him, I happened to look down, and he was wearing a Rugrat shirt. Now, Rugrats was Keith's favorite cartoon. He loved it. It was one of his favorite things. And you know what? That was all that I needed for a sign to show me that Keith was there, even though he's with me every day. But it was so, like, the little hair that I have left on the back of my neck stood up. And uh, it was was one of those surreal moments. I'm like, wow, I, I really love that. I love signs, and I, I, I'll take that. And moving forward from that, uh, I got a call from Fury a couple days later, and uh, he offered me another gig, and that's going to be uh, October 28th in Worcester, Massachusetts at the Raven. Uh, I'm going to be opening up for the Flatliners. Uh, it's a hardcore um, hardcore gangster rap from like the late 90s, and uh, yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be a great time. So uh, I I also like to give a shout out to uh, Intrinsic from uh, Underground Hustling, he's the one that uh, got me on the show in the first place. So uh, dude, thank you so much. It all worked out great. I'm looking forward to doing more of that. Um, it's kind of like a, an escape for me from the Demon Scar uh, because you know with Demon Scar I'm I'm doing like I said the the harder stuff the uh, you know the punk and the and the metal. But, you know, this is like, I've always loved hip-hop and, you know, I'm actually all doing this because when 
Keith was still here, he uh, he put me on Little Peep's uh, radar, and Little Peep has been such an influence to me with how I'm I'm writing like all these songs and stuff that I'm doing, and uh, it's kind of like I'm keeping the spirit of both of them alive. You know, uh, Little Peep passed away when he was uh, 21, just about when he was blowing up, but uh, you know, still his uh, presence is known throughout hip hop. He's uh, very well regarded. Um, they're actually releasing a couple of his albums still, and there's still like unreleased stuff that they haven't even like done. So, um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, then, so moving forward from there, <clears throat> this weekend for the twelfth time, I saw Chasing Amy on the uh, big screen at Smod Castle Cinemas in uh, Highlands, New Jersey. Um, I think I should just move or get a apartment there because I'm in Jersey more than I feel like I'm in Belmore lately. I've been going this, to this theater since December. I think I've been here like, uh, seven or eight times. Um, Kevin Smith probably is going to get a restraining order against me because he keeps on seeing me there, but he's cool. He's awesome. Um, but yeah, it was a special event. They had a screening, uh, Joey Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams was there. Um, she still looks absolutely amazing. Um, and she's so sweet. You know, I got to take a picture with both of them. I didn't, uh, the picture is not available right now cause it still, uh, takes a couple days for them to get that to me. But, um, you know, they, they have a Q and a afterwards and stuff, but what was cool is usually before all his screenings, Kevin Smith has an auction. So, um, I always buy something from the auction, you know, a small item or whatever. But, uh, this week, this time I swung for the fences because he busted out, um, 20 five by seven pictures of, uh, pictures that they took during the filming of the movie. And he found them in like a little like uh storage unit that he had and they're one of a kind and it's just pictures that they took like on set. And um, he ended up tagging them all for me and stuff and signed them. And uh, Chasing Amy, like like I said, I saw it in the, on the big screen 12 times. It was the summer of Chasing Amy when it came out. I, I dragged all my friends to go see it. Um, I was obsessed with the movie. I still love it. It's you know still in my uh, top movies of all time. Um, even when it was released um, on VHS at the time, I ended up buying it from the manufacturer of my mom and pop video store for $75. And then about three weeks later, Anthony called me up laughing because he bought it at Blockbuster Video for $8, I think. Um, But whatever, I was a fan of the movie. I was glad to have it. And there's actually a true crime uh, tie-in to that video store. I bought it from Royal Video in Belmore. And I don't know if many people know, but if the name Thomas Valva rings any bells, he's the piece of shit cop that uh, basically starved his uh, child and put him in a um, his garage and the kid died from hypothermia. He worked at this video store and uh, I didn't personally know him. I know he worked there in the era that I did go there, but uh, yeah. So there's always a, uh, never know who you're working next to, but, uh, yeah, he worked there and, uh, 
He just got sentenced to 25 years to life. Um, I feel that is even light for what he fucking did because any crime that's committed against a, uh, a small, innocent child, you, uh, you deserve um, the worst possible outcome. You know, they should bury you underneath the jail with all the maggots and sodomites and you should never see the fucking light of day. And you should be tortured every day. And beat mercifully within an inch of your life. And then you can just get to do it all over again. Kind of like a Groundhog Day, but with heavy fisting. So um, that's actually my fuck you for the day. So fuck you, Thomas Valva. You got what you deserved, you piece of shit. All right. Um, moving forward. We, uh, there's a lot of like news going on right now with WWE and UFC. Because they just merged and they started this new company called Endeavor. But they've had some releases, and um, they released one of um, one of the wrestlers that uh, he was such a great ring performer, and he had so many accolades. And his name is Dolph Ziggler. Uh, Dolph Ziggler, uh, you know, if you're looking at the stats next to me, uh, you know, it, it speaks for itself. You know, with the with the TV matches, he's the third most in the uh, in the company. Two-time world champion, one-time NXT champion, six-time IC champion, two-time U.S. champ, four-time tag team winner, and he won the uh, Money in the Bank once. Um, I can't really say enough about this guy. He just loved being a wrestler. You know, he cut one of the greatest promos ever. Um, I'm not going to play it for you. I want you to go look it up for yourself. But it, it gives you... Uh, it gives me the chills. I mean, I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. I've always been not as much as I was back in the day. I still watch some of it, but, uh, I appreciate great talent when I do see it. And he had not only the mic skills, but he also had the in-ring skills and he had the heart and it showed. Um, the only thing that I was never a fan of was his name, Dolph Ziggler. Like I wasn't like a fan of that name. His real name is Nick Nemeth, and he used to go by that. So what I think, and this is just coming from me, I'm not a professional in this at all, but I think that he his his story's not done. He's going to get picked up. And I think he's going to get picked up kind of like how Zack Ryder, who um, his name, his real name is Matt Cardona. Once he got released from uh, WWE, Matt Cardona became a really uh, – big name in like, you know, death matches and uh, hardcore matches. And I think that that's going to be the same fate for uh, for Dolph Ziggler, Nick Nemeth. Um, maybe even if he goes the AEW route, maybe they can link him up with Chris Jericho and have Jericho put him over and ultimately have a dream promo fight with uh, MJF. That would be awesome. And Jericho's angle could be very simple. He could just rip into uh, into him and say that he's a poor man's Jericho and he'll never be on his stage. But, you know, the older guys usually put the other guys over, and I think that would be something that um, Nick Nemeth is is worthy of because that would be uh, it would be something. It would be a great match, and it would be a great storyline for fans and uh the fight, if they had it ever with MJF and uh, 
and Nick Nemeth would be absolutely amazing. And that storyline be too, would be good too because they're great both with Mike's skills and everything. And uh, I even think it would be better than what CM Punk did with uh, MJF. And and it's only because of the heart of this guy. So, uh, Zach, you know, um, Dolph Ziggler, wherever you're going, I know it's only uphill from here, man. And uh, I just want to say thank you for all your uh, years of entertainment with the WWE. And um, things are always, you know, you're going to be good. You're going to get picked up. So, um, getting into the uh, WWE and UFC merger, holy shit, like... The deal values uh, UFC at $12.1 million and WWE at $9.3 billion. Um, Endeavor owns 51% of that right now, while currently WWE owns 49%. So for the first time in over 40 years, Vince McMahon is not in control of his own company. Now they say that they're not going to really deal with the wrestling part and they're going to let him do it, but... Uh, the money that's in, involved right now and the details are scarce because I feel like they don't want to even put a number on it because um, it's probably insane sick money that's being made right now and going to be made. Uh, only us fans are probably going to be affected by it because now it might go back to the old pay-per-view per instead of having like a um, – I have like the network – on Peacock, I pay four ninety nine a month, I believe, and I get all the WWE events free with that. Now, if you're going to go back to the pay-per-view standard and you're shelling out $50, $60 a pay-per-view, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'll do it for WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble, but you know, I'm not going to do it per month. There's no fucking way that I'm going to do it. Insane. Um, and one possibility that's being thrown around right now is that they're going to uh, try to probably link up for weekend shows in cities where they'd have like UFC on Saturday and WWE on Sunday in that area. And that's very interesting. And that's very, like I said, it's very big money and very, very big revenue for the cities that that goes to. And probably a couple of felonies and, you know, misdemeanors and assaults and shit. But uh, so what we're looking at right now is. Ari Emanuel, who's the CEO for Endeavor, is worth $500 million. Dana White, who's the CEO of UFC, is worth $500 million. Acquired, uh, and Dana White acquired UFC for $2 million back in 2001. And Vince McMahon, sitting on his own island at $2.8 billion, he acquired the WWE for $1 million in 1982. So he made a wise investment. Um, and it's just, uh, like I said, it's, it is insane money and, um, just curious to see how it all, uh, unfolds over the, uh, the next couple of months. So, um, right now I'm going to do my, uh, top five for the week. Uh, I'm going to actually do my top four and I'm going to leave one out and it's going to tie into a story that I'm going to get into a little bit later. So, uh, my first story uh, is um, so it's top five celebrity encounters or in- interactions, and I've narrowed it down to these uh, people. The first one is Kane Hodder. Uh, he played Jason in uh, a few of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. We're talking Jason Seven through Jason Ten. Um, he's also been Victor Crowley in Hatchet. 
Uh, he's played some true crime guys. He's played Ed Gein and the BTK killer. Uh, the guy's got a lengthy, um, lengthy IMDb um, list of the roles that he's played. Um, he's a very intimidating dude. As you can see from the picture, I mean, he is towering over me at the age of uh, 10 or 9 in that. But, uh, you know, he just, he's a big guy. He's got kill tattooed in his lip. And uh, he comes across as like a big ball buster. But uh, the dude is such, has such heart and he loves his fans. And um, there's a story that I always like to associate Kane Hodder with. Uh, I have a friend, David, that's in a wheelchair. Uh, I know David through Monster Mania convention. Know him for many years. Uh, one Monster Mania, I'm sitting at a panel and watching somebody talk. And he comes in, he sits next to me. And uh, I can see that he's, like, really happy. And he's, like, uh, got a big smile on his face. So he tells me that he went up to Kane Hodder's table. And Kane Hodder and him were talking. And David mentioned to him the fact that um, possibly he can't do that, like walk or get up or something. Kane Hodder uh, told him, well, listen, if you are able to stand next to me in this photo that we're going to take right now, I will sign anything on my table for you for free. And, uh, and it's just to prove that you can do it and you never give up on yourself. Nonetheless, David Bear hugged him and they took the photo and... That was that. He told me that. And at the time, I wrote for a, a, a zine called Breaking House Magazine. It was actually one of my first uh, gigs that I ever had writing um, that was published. And when at the time, when I wrote it, uh, Kane Hodder's autobiography called Kill was being written, as well as a companion piece by the author, Mike Alois. He wrote The Killer and I. He saw the article. He ended up putting the article in his book. So my words that I wrote about Kane Hodder being Hart and that he loved his fans and the David story is all in that book. So I saw it one day. I lost my shit. I couldn't believe it because being a fan and being inserted into an autobiography about said person that I'm a fan of is like one of the highest honors that I could ever have, you know, and... I went up to, to Kane Hodder and I, I showed it to him and he's like, that was you that wrote it? And I said, yeah. And uh, ever since then, he knew me by face, but now it's kind of like we're friends, you know? And even now, like, he's seen, you know, Zozo, as you can see in the picture, she's about four months old in that picture and he's choking the shit out of her. But now, you know, when we go and see him, he lets her sit at the table. He always high fives her. He always comes up. Even up to the point of, it's a little short story, I was at the counter checking into the hotel. There was a problem with the credit card that I had. Something, I don't know what happened. He was standing not too far away and he saw that there was something up. He came up and he was just like, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, you know, I was trying to figure out what's going on. And he said, well, listen, dude, if there's a problem, you just you let me know and I'll take care of it for you and we'll figure it out. He didn't have to do that. Um, but like I said, the dude loves his fans and anytime that he's at a convention, I will make it my way just to make sure that I go and say hello to him. Because like I said, I do consider him as a friend and, um, 
And that's like one of the reasons why I constantly go to these things. And I do uh, spend my time and my money at these conventions because I feel like this interaction I'm always going to remember. You know, and uh, that's one of the good stories about these conventions. Um, so the next guy that I'm going to talk about is Gunnar Hansen. Uh, that's uh, Leatherface. I was also at a very young age. The two pictures of the Polaroids were actually taken at the same convention. Now, Gunnar Hansen was the original Leatherface from my favorite horror movie of all time, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Um, it was my first convention, and uh, he was the nicest guy in the world. Uh, he was writing on my face. I had a little, like, special effects, and he was doing a Sharpie inside it. And you could see, like, you know, he was smiling and having a good time. Um through the years, I would see him at conventions. Unfortunately, he did pass away. Uh, he's no longer with us, so uh, rest in peace, Gunner. Uh, you always made me feel special and uh, worth it, and that's why you got the uh, the tattoo right on my forearm, as always, my leather face tattoo, front and center for you, buddy. Um, what was cool about that weekend, though, is we, me and my parents, uh, we were at a Denny's, I believe, Went for breakfast, and Gunnar Hansen actually invited us to sit down with him and have breakfast with him. So, uh, dude, 10 years old, you're never going to forget that, and I still haven't. Here I am, 45 years old, and I'm still talking about that shit 35 years later. So uh, thanks, Gunnar Hansen, for being a top-shelf uh, guy and uh, making a horror nerd's kid's dream come true. Um now, this next one was a funny encounter I had, and it's Leslie Nielsen. Uh, Leslie Nielsen was at Chilla Theater one year. This is a short story, though. So we were, I was waiting online for him, and I had my back to the door. And all of a sudden, I feel a little tap on my shoulder. And I look over, and it's Leslie Nielsen. And he just looks at me, and he goes, Hey, buddy, is this the way to Cleveland? <laughs> I just start laughing. We shared a laugh together. Uh, I walked up to the table. He was very nice, uh, very monotone, but uh, very cool. And uh, it was a great honor to meet such a, uh, a legend, you know, a comedy legend or whatever. And even the role that he did in Creepshow, he played a dick that one time, and uh, he did it to perfection. So, uh, Leslie Nielsen, thank you so much for the laugh and the memory that I'm never going to forget. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, the next guy I'm going to talk about is Ethan Embry. Um, Ethan Embry, uh, he played, um, he was in Dutch with Ed O'Neill, which is one of my favorites. And he was also in, um, oh man, he's Nick Papa Giorgio in Vegas Vacation. Well, Ethan Embry, um, a couple of months before this convention, uh, you can see it's old school because I am in the picture with my child and my ex-wife who we're still friends. So I could still post pictures of her and, uh, there's no weirdness about it. So, uh, it's all good. So anyway, um, Ethan Embry came out and, uh, spoke about him and his struggles with addiction and, uh, I had a heart-to-heart -heart with him about that because I thought it was just, uh, it meant a lot to me because, you know, you, when you do that, you really have to be transparent and you got to tell your story and you got to be open up for criticism, especially if you're a celebrity. And, uh, you know, some of them do it for the story or whatever, but I felt like he didn't. 
he was just talking about, you know, being a child actor and making wrong choices. But then he made the right choice because, in his words, life was worth it. And um, I told him that, you know, at that point, I was uh, about a year into my um, being clean. I just actually, May 15th, 2015, was the day that I cashed in my chips. So this is about 2016 when I met him. And um, I told him about, at that point, what I had gone through and, you know, how um, I don't take anything for granted and I'm just lucky to be here. And he just looked at me and he was like, you're a lucky dude and you have a beautiful family, man. Isn't it worth it? And I said, what? And he said, isn't life worth it? And it is. Because, uh, yeah, you know, doing that and changing my my habits and uh, I wouldn't I would have missed out on so many things. You know, like I said, this was 2016, this picture, you know, as you can see, Zozo's real young in that picture. She's just about almost uh, a little year and a half, maybe almost two. And, uh, you know. I would have missed out on all the great things that she would have done. I would have missed out on that kick-ass divorce. You know, it was awesome. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, I would have missed out on, you know, Demon Scar. You know, I would have missed out doing this podcast. I would have missed out being in a movie with Shelley Duvall. You know, I would have missed out on all these things. I would have missed out on the connections that I made throughout the last couple of years with people that, you know... Um, have been positive influences on me and like pushing me forward and everything. So, uh, yeah, Ethan Embry life is worth it, man. And, uh, yeah, again, I just thank you for being transparent and putting that article out all those years later. Um, so, uh, the fifth one I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but what we're going to get into right now, um, blink 182 rocked my socks. And tugged on my heartstrings. Um, they released a beautiful song last week called One More Time. And I feel like it's going viral. And it's like their biggest hit. It's going to be their biggest hit since their prime Blink-182 days. Like, you know, I'm talking like, you know, all the small things. And uh, first date. You know, the first couple of albums. And, um... They, they, it, the song really is about lost time, stuff that you can't get back, and it's talking about like how, um, how Travis stepped away from it and he wanted to do some soul searching, but then they even make a mention to it like how his sickness and planes falling from the sky, um, makes you feel like you're missing out on the people that you love. And uh, when they're talking about is Mark Hoppus. He was he was diagnosed with stage 4 uh, diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. He's currently cancer-free right now, but he did go through his struggles with that. You know, stage 4 is not a good stage to be at when you're diagnosed. And um, Thank God that that's going on for him right now. And then, you know, they're talking about the plane crash with uh, with Travis Barker, that four people lost their lives. You know, Sarah Lemon, the pilot, the, 
the first officer, uh, James Bland, um, and the passengers, Charles Monroe and Chris Baker. Travis Barker and DJ AM, um, a.k.a. Adam Goldstein, were the only ones that survived. And um, the story was that uh, he was... Travis Barker was covered in jet fuel and started running and ripping off his clothes, and eventually someone told him to stop, drop, and roll, and that put out most of the fire on his body. But at that point, he had 65% of his body was burned, and uh, he was in the hospital for 11 weeks, and he had post-traumatic stress from that, and he did not fly a plane again until August of uh, 2021. Um, for DJ AM... Um, he was prescribed painkillers and anti-anxiety medication, and he also um, developed a fear of flying and continued taking these medications to help with uh, regular flights during his lifestyle. Um, but 11 months later, he, would fi he, he overdosed, you know, and he was on harder drugs. And what happened was he uh, was drug-free from that for about, a decade, but then he relapsed because of all this. And um, Dr. Drew said that when that plane crashed, that killed him, but it only took a year later for it actually to uh, take his body. And, you know, being a recovering addict, that always does scare the shit out of me that it could take something to just throw that all away and relapse. And that's why it is a day by day thing. And, um, this song just, you know, it, it reflects on, like, old friendships and bonds that turn to animosity and eventually leads to, you know, the band breaking up, you know. And sometimes it's, like, you know, it's beyond the music, man. You know, life is too short. You know, the, the, the friendships that I have in my band... Uh, they're, they're beyond the music, too. Those guys see me at my worst, and they've seen me at my best, you know, and they've gotten me through some of the hardest times of my life, and I feel like I've been there for them with that, too. So what I'm saying is sometimes um, don't ever let the sun go down on a rift that you have with a loved one that potentially can be patched up, you know, because what's going to happen is, it it may lead to like lifelong regret and second thoughts, um, although it, it it may be not with everyone. Like not everyone around you may agree that burying the hatchet is the best thing. But all that matters is is that what it means to you and what it means to that friend or that special someone. That can you get past the things that happened in the past and. Sometimes you have to put those immediate feelings and hurt aside for the bigger picture and you have to really take into perspective like this person, where are they an asset to your life or did they just hold you back, you know, and are they worth your time? And I feel like this song talks about all that and it brings up all those feelings, you know, and like it had me thinking, um, about so much shit, like, that I've personally gone through, you know, and I, I've had falling outs with friends that, you know, we came to respect each other's, uh, you know, opinions and stuff, and we buried hatchets, and, you know, it made our, 
our friendship tighter and everything. And, um, you know, even before when I was joking about my, my divorce, you know, like divorce can fucking wreck so much, so many things around you. Like it could be terrible. I've heard horror stories of friends that have long drawn out divorces. And unfortunately, the people that are getting divorced are not the ones that are affected by it the most. It's the little ones that are looking up to them that need those people to be on their best game, you know? And sometimes you have to put those feelings aside for that little one because you don't want to fuck them up because it's the most impressionable years of their life, you know? I really, you know, people all, I know, I've come across it being divorced for these two years Everyone has their fucking opinion, but you know what? You weren't there. You weren't there when shit got bad. You weren't there when it was good. So you can have your opinion, but at the end of the day, when, you know, it goes the right way, then maybe you could uh, see that it was worth it. it because to me... It is because not only, you know, I, I don't want to get personal and like talk about all that stuff, but like, you know what? It's, it made a friendship, an old friendship come back that we forgot about and that we could stand to be in the same room together. And we're doing it for the sake of our kid. And we could spend holidays and all those special things because you know what? It kind of, think about it from a little kid's point of view you know when you split up a family and then you're spending holidays in three different homes sometimes it's like you're living out of a bag you know and that's not cool you know and it's it sucks so you just i don't know i don't know what's in your life and i'm not trying to give you advice but i know it works for me it works for my family so I went off on a little tangent over here just because of a song, but you know what? That's what songs do to me. It makes me reflect on things, you know, and it also inspires me. You know, I could hear, so weird, when I did, stepped away from music, all it took was one word, and the word was destruction. But that one word that I heard on an interview with Courtney Love on The View one day, oh, not, I don't watch The View, it wasn't The View. It was like, ah, <laughs> uh, fuck you, View. So, no, it was, uh, it was a talk show, and she was talking about something. She said destruction. All of a sudden, bing, the fucking light bulb went off. And this is coming from a guy that used to write all the time that I hadn't written in two years. And you know what? I picked up the pen or I picked up my phone. Now I write in my notes. I used to write it on little pads and stuff. But I haven't put that down, and I've been on a tear since. And this is going back to 2017, so I've been on a pretty good tear because I've written a lot since then, and I've written a lot before then, you know, and that's what songs do to me. They make me think about, you know, um, think about things, and, like, you know, I get inspired to write new things. And then uh, it also makes me think about the number five, the number fifth celebrity encounter that I've had was with Motley Crue. Motley Crue... You guys know me. They're my favorite band of all time. And now this picture uh, 
There's a story behind it because there's a story behind everything. Molly Crew went on tour with Kiss, and they really never did fall, like meet and greets and stuff before. They did like back in the day. They did like record signings, but I was too young to go to them. And even now, there's only three of them in the you know there's only three of them in the picture that when before Mick just left, it was just Mick, Vince, and Tom, and and uh, Vince, uh, Vince, Mick, and Nikki that would take pictures because Tommy Lee didn't want to do it. He'd rather spend his time not meeting fans and doing whatever he wants to do. And that's on him. That's fine. But for this photo, this was the last time that the crew actually did a photo together for meet and greet on this tour. And this was before I was married. I was with another girlfriend. And we were together at that point for about almost five years. And they went on sale. And it was it was expensive. And I remember her saying to me, if you're going to drop that money and not put that towards the ring, then we have a problem. And that's why I say X, because she's no longer in the picture, but Molly Crew and me are. And she couldn't respect that this band meant that much to me that my whole musical career was based on what I was influenced by them at such a young age. And I had to jump on the opportunity because I never knew when... I would ever have the opportunity again to have them all in the same room with me for even for 15 seconds. And you know what? Like some of my greatest sex capades, 15 seconds was all I needed to have the, one of the greatest moments of my life because they were all standing there and I could cry about it because it was, it was awesome. You know, Mick was at the early state, like even at the late stages, but he was really suffering from his uh, debilitating disease. And he always gave his, you know, best always. And he was there and he looked good. You know, uh, I turned the corner and they were there. And it, it was just a moment that I'll never forget. I walked up to him and, you know, I shook Mick's hand and I said, it's great to see that you're out doing it. And he said, thank you. Uh, I told Nikki, dude, you like God to me. You've inspired me to no end, and I just want to thank you for that. For my other forearm, I have a little girl, a, a dancing girl on it. That if I move, it's like an old sailor tattoo. If I wiggle, she uh, she dances, and I got that stupid idea from Vince Neil. Back in the day, Vince Neil had a dancing girl. I don't even know if you could see it on his arm. He probably can't, but he has a, a girl on the arm. Same thing, and he said that they kept on trying to place the stencil, but he couldn't get the dance right. Well, I got it right, and I was like, dude, you inspired me when I was like eight years old to always get a girl on my arm that I could do a dance. So this is an honor of you. And he laughed. And then Tommy, you know, was laughing at that whole story and gave me a big old hug, and I turned around, I took the picture, and I just remember walking out of the room. I turned around and I'm like, hey, guys, one thing. And they're like, what's up? And I'm like, kick my fucking ass tonight. And they say, you got it. And they did. They put on a great show. Um, it. So the reason I'm bringing them into this whole Blink-182 song, it makes me think it's a shame that the third act of their career is going to be marred by a greedy lawsuit even though they've sued each other time and time again and their career and their, you know, personalities and their uh, attitudes have always outshined their music. Um, 
I feel like this one's nasty, though, because a lot of dirty laundry is being aired, and it just really just tarnishes their legacy because it just, even though, the, like I said, the legacy's been tarnished before with ODs and, you know, Vince killing somebody with vehicular manslaughter and fucking Tommy's dick, and the you know, the, the whole, you know, getting locked up for beating up Pamela Anderson and, like, all that shit. And they're taking it out on the guy that was innocent in all the thing. The only thing that Mick Mars was was an alcoholic, which is, you know, it's not good, but you know what? The dude didn't want the spotlight. Being around three dudes that lived for the spotlight, like... You'll never hear me bash them because I love them, but what's right is right. And if you're going to lay, I can label them as three of the most like uh, center stage, like spotlight stealing whores in competition, man. Like they love the attention, dude. Like I don't know who loves it more. And it's. You know, I think even like Vince Neil even takes a step, a back seat to like Tommy and to Nikki because like they love the, to talk. And to, you know, if you read The Dirt, The Dirt is their autobiography. They go, each of them, the three of them, their fucking chapters are like three and four pages where Mix is a paragraph. Like, yeah, we were fucked up. I was living in a hotel room. I drank myself. I don't really remember it. The album sucked. That was like his thing. It's like three sentences. Nikki could go on for like 15 pages about like one song. You know, Tommy Lee talks in the third person with his dick, you know, like just <laughs> saying all kinds of shit. And Vince, you know, like in the book, um, you, you, you see a lot of the tragedy that he's gone through and you try to give him a pass, but he constantly always just got himself in trouble with doing the craziest shit. And like, I remember just, I needed a cleanser after I read that book. Like, I was just like, wow, they really are, like, awful human beings. No respect. But they're the greatest rock and roll band in my eyes, you know? And you can't take that away from them. Even though I said that their their bad boy reputation took away from their legacy, dude, a hundred million fucking albums sold. Seven of those albums were platinum. Nine top ten Billboard albums. And Dr. Feelgood was number one. You know? I love that this time around they came back and they played stadiums. That's fucking amazing at this stage of the game. Because they're lumped into that hair metal and that 80s, you know, cringe time or whatever. And most of those bands are package deals. And they're playing fucking, like, local county fairs or dives where Demon Scar is scalping tickets for their own show outside, or bands like them that, dude, if I was able to open up for Vince Neil at a fucking, at Revolution when it was there, it's like a fucking career highlight. But you know what, for Vince Neil, dude, he's playing a fucking dive on the corner of 110 and Merrick Road. Like, I don't know, bro. I mean, this guy just sold out, you know, all those stadiums and stuff, and, like, he's still doing it. And... You know, he's getting a lot of flack on his performance too now, you know. The internet has no mercy because now they're being like 
saying, you know, the backing tapes and Nikki's not really playing his bass and they're, you know, they're playing to a tape or whatever. I get it. You know, it goes even to, with Kiss. I want to see your 75-year-old grandfather get up with all 50 pounds of fucking makeup and apparatus and get up there and do two and a, two hours every night for a fucking two years, you know? I think a little help would be, would he would need it, you know? So the backing of the tapes, really, you know, if they're singing to a tape, that's fine or whatever, just to assist. Um, the prices, yeah, there are, are outlandish, but that's the time that we're living in and stuff, you know? So what I would love right now is I think that if they were to pay John Five, who I love John Five, he's amazing. He's a great element to the band, pumps new life into them. You know, just pay him as a hired gun and give him a split of the music that he contributes going forward. I think the end result is just pay Mick Mars the money that he's entitled to and the future grows of merchandise and such that of the brand that he's associated with. The guy was always dedicated. He got bullied all along the way, you know, and it's he deserves it, you know, and it's 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 a shame because it's for the money, but like what's how much is enough? You know, I mean like shit. If you look up their their what they just made for this last tour, it's insane, you know? And you know, they forced him into an early retirement, so he says and they're saying that he was the weakest link, but coming from a crew fan, I'm not going to say who the weakest link on that stage was, but the last tour that I saw them play with Mick Mars wasn't him. And this dude was hunched over, and he looked like he was fucking hurting, and he looked like he was ready for retirement, and he still was not the weakest link. Is that why he's suing them? Because he wanted to join this tour, and they, w- they said no? Is that what yeah. the lawsuit is so about? So basically they, they told him that... Um, they had to alter. Uh, they had to alter some of the music, and they had to reteach him his parts and everything. And he's like, basically, Mick Mars said, "We'll all go in a fucking room right now, and I guarantee you that I could play my parts flawlessly, while these guys re fucking learn their parts and jerk each other off." And the guy's right. I believe that. I believe it. Yeah. You know. Um, and even like it's really even going back to like the first couple albums, they're saying that Nicky never played bass on like the first like four albums and stuff because he didn't know how. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, many people might not even know this about me, but I got kicked out of the studio for my first recording. They said I wasn't ready. And you know what? I wasn't. But I came back for the fucking round two and I did record those. But the first hollow recording. Uh, yeah, man, like, they kicked me the fuck out. They said that I had the wrong bass, that I didn't know fucking my notes, and that was kind of rough because I wrote those songs with those guys and everything. And, you know, I'm still a work in progress with bass, you know, and just like anything else, you know, you pick it up and you just learn. This is, you know, I don't even know, 2004, we went into the studio, and I remember, like, um... It was actually 2005 we went into the studio. It was Ken Wallace. And basically we went from an underground thing where we did like a little EP to this guy. And this guy has won Grammys and stuff. And he was like, all right, let me hear the sound of the band. So we started playing. He's like, keep going, keep going, keep going. 
about an hour into it, he's like, all right, did you guys ever play to a click? And we're looking at each other like, click? Like, Howie, you know, like, you know, this is hollow, so it was Dirty on guitar and Howie on drums. Howie was a session deadhead, like, click. You know, the click that he fucking was probably hearing was tapping out his bowl or something or cleaning it out. He wasn't playing in no fucking click. I don't even know what the fucking click was at that point. Neither did Dirty, because Dirty was a jam session player, too. So that dude took us to fucking school. And he also took us to the bank because to record five songs with this man, it cost us $22,000. It was remastered by Sony, mixed and mastered by Sony, and um, it gave us opportunities and everything, and we were almost on the verge of uh, getting a deal from Lava Records. And uh, thank God we didn't do it because a year later those that uh, company went uh, bankrupt. But Lava Records back in the day, they had like Kid Rock and they had Lit and stuff. And uh, we were very close. You know, we we had a great song we did with uh, Brett Scallions from Fuel that Anthony actually still uses on his podcast today. And, uh, yeah, so all this because of that Blink-182 song, man. Holy shit. Like I said, you never know what I'm going to talk about, but that song... One more time, check it out. They don't need my plug because it's already probably gotten millions of views or whatever. But, boys, I appreciate you uh, writing such a beautiful song. And I think it's my favorite song of the year. So uh, it's an awesome song. Check out the video because it's one of a, it's a very cool video, too. They, uh, they go back through all the sets of the videos that they, um, they played. Uh, throughout their career or whatever. And then it just got a montage of like old photos and stuff. So, all right, I got a couple of plugs that I'd like to do right now. So, holy shit, Beery's Con, the Horror Con. Wow, we have some awesome news right now. So we do have an announcement with um, the talent that is going to be there. So, Aliska Han and Danny Boyd, who is the lead actress and the director of Invasion of the Space Preachers, they were going to be at Mr. Beery's first ever HorrorCon, hosted by Julia Fisher, who's the barkeep during the day, and yours truly. Um, tickets pre-sale are only $15, or you could buy them at the door for $20. And there's going to be horror vendors there. Selling stuff. I'm gonna bring some of my own personal uh, merchandise, uh, my own personal like old school memorabilia that I have no use for anymore. Uh, I'm gonna put. The, I have a table set up and stuff. Kevin Mundy, who's also another very talented bartender there, he's gonna bring in his acting troupe. They're gonna do like a horror short. We're actually gonna show Invasion of the Space Preachers uh, and have a uh, pretty cool uh, Q and A afterwards. Um, my friend Christina, she's going to do um, Italian food. Uh, Cornicello is the name of her uh, company. She's going to make some gourmet uh, gourmet Italian food, sausage and peppers and stuff of that like. Um, it's going to be an awesome event. So if you have any questions, if you want to vend, I think we might have a table or two still opened up. You can DM me or DM uh, Julia. And uh, that is going to be an awesome time. That's going to be Saturday, October 21st at uh, Mr. Beery's. It kicks off about 3 o'clock in the afternoon 
And uh, it's going to go into the night because we're celebrating um, Tom Bennett's 50th birthday. Um, Cover Me Bad is going to be headlining that. That's with uh, the boys from uh, some of the guys from Playing Dead. And uh, the band formerly known as Death Proof, Planetara, and Master and Norma Bates is also going to be there. We're going to name ourselves that night. That's my band with uh, my good friend Howie, who I said from Hollow, and um, John Castiglia, who's uh, in the band Wrecked, who I played a couple of weeks ago. They're going to, uh, we're going to rock that night. That's going to be awesome. Um, my other sponsor, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to them, Cloud 8 Delta 8. Make sure you go to their website, cloud8delta8.com. Use Primal 10 as your code. Um, they have some great merchandise, some um, different strains. They have vapes. They have edibles. It's used for medicinal purposes, too. Um, check them out. I can't praise them enough. Uh, J- uh, another plug, Jason's Woods coming up soon. Demon Scar is going to be playing there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we have a special uh, guest coming there, Ricky Glore. He's going to be filming our death scene because Demon Scar is getting killed in his new movie called Sweet Meats. Uh, it just got acquired by Trauma. So that's the new Trauma movie that's going to be coming out. Trauma's been in the news lately. They've just um, showing screenings of the new uh, Toxic Avenger, which is a remake of the old school uh, 1980s, I believe it's 87, uh, from, um, you know, they just it has um, Kevin Bacon in it, and also, um, holy shit, I can't, the dude's name is uh, Peter Dinklage, played in Game of Thrones. He actually plays Toxie. Uh, it's gotten mixed reviews and stuff, but... You know, those trauma films are so over the top and everything. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely for me. And for me to be part of the uh, the trauma universe uh, in Traumaville is a real honor. Um, also, Scott Goldberg went back to Texas this week for the Forest Hills. He filmed some more scenes with Shelly. Um, he's putting the finishing touches on that. Supposedly, he's saying he's very close to that distribution deal which does take some time. So I'm thinking that in the first quarter of 2024, we'll finally get to see the far. Oh, you'll finally get to see the forest Hills as it was intended to be shown, um, through streaming. And we're going to have another, uh, screening at my favorite place before I get the, uh, restraining order, smart castle cinemas. So guys, I had a blast today. Loved, uh, bleeding for you all. Oh, Aliska Han. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I didn't know who she was. So I didn't know when I was. Oh yeah, yeah. That. So that's Aliska Han. She's in. Uh, she's in the invasion of the space preachers, and that's Danny Boyd. That's the director. So yeah, Mr. Beery's. No, that's cool, brother. That's why Tony's my producer. He has my back, just in case if I leave anything out. He's the hardest man behind the the, uh, the curtain, and sometimes I unveil that and let him come out and talk with me and stuff. So I do appreciate you, Tony. Thanks a lot, brother. Um, but yeah, that's it for, uh, for episode seven of prime. Oh, fuck man. I almost forgot the name of the, <laughs> of the, of the podcast primal scream. And, uh, 
I'm heading back to Cali. That's why I'm not going to be here Thursday. So when I come back, I'm going to the Halloween 45th anniversary in Pasadena. You know I'll have lots to say about that. And I think I'm probably going to dedicate Episode 8 to my trip to California. But I will be back next Thursday at 9 p.m. live without a net. And that's how we do. Well, with that, I'm the Nizza, and I'm out. Thank you for listening to Primal Scream. I'm Nick Greystone, a.k.a. The Nizza. Each week, Primal Scream is produced by Tony Walker and executive produced by Demon Scar. Always remember, nobody writes your story but you. Later. Later.